0: Hi, you're listening to another sermon from Deep Creek Anglican Church. The topic this morning that I've been asked to speak on is good news in the workplace, and it made me wonder: like, why has Megan? Where is Megan? She's disappeared. Just left. Megan has left the building. Why is Megan asked me to share on this topic? Is it because my workplace is a challenge to share the has you know, it's challenging to share the good news in my workplace? I mean, like I'm an Ang- Anglican minister, so it shouldn't be that hard to share the good news of Jesus there. Or is it because I work in a workplace where it's easy to share my faith as a minister? Now that was supposed to be funny, so we can get the funny bit out of the way and we can get really serious really quickly. I hear that you're and see that you're in the middle of a Uh, series on evangelism and thinking about how to share the good news with people. And last week, unbeknownst to me, you heard uh, from the book of Acts about four different types of people and four different types of encounters that people have uh, with the gospel. And so uh, I hear that as a church, you've thought about four different ways of sharing the gospel with four different types of people. And I go, that's amazing because this morning we're starting by thinking about four different types of Christians and who we might be and how we might need to be shaped and changed and transformed and emboldened by the Holy Spirit to share the good news in our workplaces. So just for my own knowledge, out of show of hands, how many here do paid or unpaid work, voluntary or employed during the week? That could be looking after grandkids, could be op shop work or place of employment. Fantastic. So this is particularly relevant for those of us who are working during the week, and I'll try and apply what we're talking about this morning to other contexts as well. So we're talking about authentic evangelism in the workplace today, and I want to paint a picture for you of four different types of Christians in the workplace. And uh, this is the bit of the sermon, the only bit, in fact, where you get to participate a little bit. I need four names so we can picture these four people. So uh, not names, anyone in here, of course, just four random names of Christians who might exist in the workplace. One name from over there. Nick. Nick. (laughs) I know there's at least two Nicks in this church. (laughs) All right, Nick it is. Nick. Uh, What about here, somewhere at the back here? Just a name. Any name will do. What's that? Bob. It's got to be believable. (laughs) (laughs) Bob the Builder. Yeah, that's his workplace. Yep, excellent. So Nick, Bob. All right, we've got two blokes and we've got to have two female names as well, you know, right? (laughs) In joke over there, sorry, I was um, at the Young Adults Retreat in Phillip Island a week ago and misnamed someone and called her Cat. Her name was not Cat all weekend. Okay, <laughs> lovely. Um, one more name. Karen. Karen. Cat and Karen, lovely. Wonderful. Well, let's think about these four types of Christians who might exist in the workplace. Well, firstly, we have, off, not, not pointing there, Nick. Now, Nick is a trendy Christian. Nick is up to date. <laughs> I'm not talking about anyone we know, right? Uh, Nick is up to date with everything that is happening in society at the moment, and he passionately cares for every cause. All the way from Carlton down to Collingwood, he knows exactly what's happening. From the Great Barrier Reef to the borders at the airport and the barriers on our international borders, he knows all of the societal movements and cultural shifts that are happening. He's up to date. Nick is at pains to ensure that his Christian faith appears and feels relevant to the non-Christians around him. And when he is at work at the recycled clothes store in Carlton, Nick's greatest temptation is that one day he might just give in to his colleagues and become like them to the point where he adopts their positions on matters of morality and societal stances. And he might, one day, he's tempted and concerned that he might compromise the gospel. So Nick wants to be relevant, but he is concerned that he might compromise one day. Now, person number two, Bob, the Builder. Bob the Builder is almost the opposite of Nick, right? Bob the Builder doesn't work out there in the world. Bob the Builder... He's actually not a builder. He works at a Christian school. And on an extreme day, Bob the Builder goes, I want to have nothing to do with non-believers out there. Bob the Builder goes, I just don't want to have anything to do with the world. So I'm going to work in a Christian school and dial up the extreme. This is how I, Bob, want to relate to the world. I'm going to run away from it. The world is a scary place. A secular workplace is a scary place. The values in secular society and culture are a scary place, so I'm just going to take several steps back and go and work in a Christian school, I'm going to hang out with my Christian friends, and I'm going to go to my Christian cafe and bookshop on Saturday and buy my Christian gift cards for my Christian friends, and then during the week I'm going to play on my Christian netball team, and I don't ever have to leave my Christian bubble because I can buy all my groceries at christiangroceries.com.au. <laughs> And have it delivered, I I know I'll have it delivered by a saint to my front door. And then when I need other things, I can go to not Big W, but Big G. (laughs) Not Kmart, but Christmart. (laughs) And score, I, Bob, have even managed to get invited to my local pastor's golf meeting on Thursday afternoons. So I know I'm playing with other Christians. For Bob, there has been a retreat from society, and most of Bob's world Is Christianized so evangelism the workplace for Bob is like well don't need to do that all my friends are already saved well now let's talk about person number three we've had Nick and Bob now we've got Kat and Karen person number three Karen Karen's a little bit edgy like really edgy maybe even a little bit militant about sharing her faith because the kingdom of God is a big and weighty thing for Karen sorry for Kat Kat believes that God has placed her in the midst of her workplace so that over time, Kat can change her workplace to look like heaven. That is what Kat believes, sincerely. And at Kat's desk, there is every conceivable poster with a verse, a famous Christian quote, pictures of famous Christian people. In fact, when Kat sees movements in society that she doesn't agree with, Kat is often found on the weekend with placards protesting at these movements. Kat is there in every moment of political movement to say, politics should be more like the kingdom of God. We need all people everywhere to live like the Bible. That's Kat. Unfortunately for Kat, in her workplace, when people see Kat coming, they duck for cover because she's guns blazing every day because she goes to work every single day saying, the only reason I'm in this workplace is so that I can save these people. That is the only reason I'm here. Kat is beginning to alienate everyone in her workplace. So we've had Nick, trendy guy. We've had Bob, he's on retreat. We've got Kat, he's just super edgy. And now we've got Karen. Karen is old school. Some, Some of you might know the term frozen chosen. That is Karen. Karen is amazing. She believes that God has placed her in her workplace as a witness to be side-by-side with the values of the world, living the values of the kingdom. She believes her life is meant to be this side-by-side contrast to the people in her workplace. She works at a bank. She goes about her work ethically. She lives by a high moral call. And she goes home and privately prays, God, in your sovereignty... Please save the people at my workplace. But Karen never says anything about her faith in Jesus. If you relate to any shade of those four types of people, you're in good company because on some level, all of us have some mixture of these four people in us. We want to be relevant. Sometimes we want to retreat from the world. Sometimes we want to be guns blazing. And sometimes we just don't want to speak up. If that's any of you, you're in good company and today God's word has hope for us and some frameworks for us in order to better engage with our work colleagues and you can apply workplace evangelism to neighbourhood evangelism or family evangelism or wherever you spend most of your time where there might be other people with a heartbeat. Well, earlier Megan mentioned that I spend most of my week as an Anglican minister at Redemption Church in Craigieburn, but a couple of days a week I work for an EAP provider, which is Employee Assistance Programs. Uh, It's the largest in Australia, but it's actually owned, this company that I work for, is owned by a Christian parent company that does a lot of research into the intersection between workplace and faith values. And this Christian parent company did a bit of research, it's a bit old now, in 2016, And you could Google this research, it's called The State of Work in Australia. And here's what the research found. Let me read you some of these findings. The research found that Christians, 80% of Christians who they surveyed, said that their faith helps them face challenges at work, which is a great thing. Nearly 70% of Christians said that their church helps them understand how to live out their faith in their workplace, which is also an excellent thing. However, it found that only 40% of Christian workers said that they feel equipped or resourced to maximise every opportunity in their workplace for spiritual expression. It found that only two-thirds, almost two-thirds of Christians, don't actually feel very comfortable talking about their faith at all. So again, if any of that resonates with you, we're all in the same boat, we're in good company, and this passage for us today has some hope for us to share our faith. This passage that we've had read to us from Ephesians chapter 5, thank you by the way, excellent reading even though it was impromptu. This passage gives us a framework of how we should think about our lives in the world And particularly today, we're going to apply it to the workplace. So here's a summary of the instructions that you, if you forget what happens from now till the end, here's the thing to remember, verse 15 and 16, this is the instruction I want to focus in on today. Verse 15 and 16 says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but wise. So that's part one, the way you live, live as wise, not unwise. And part two Verse 16: Make the most of every opportunity, because the time or the days are evil. So, really, today's sermon is in two parts. You'll feel the the gear crunch of the change of sections. Part one is how you live, and two is how you make most of the opportunities. So, let's look at part one today: how we live. And um, the verses are going to be up on the screen, hopefully, Lord willing, from verse one onwards. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Christians in Ephesus, but also in that general region around modern-day Turkey. He's making a case for how to live out a holy life. You heard some of these promises actually mentioned in the baptism, Um, godparents and parents standing there professing and confessing that they will live a certain way. And some of these instructions, now you may have heard before, but this is what effectively Christians have signed up for from the day we're born again and the day we come into God's family. We're actually called to a certain way of life. And we're called to a certain way of life, not just privately in a holy club, but we're called to a certain way of life publicly. And here's some of that. In verse 1 and 2, we hear, we're called to walk in God's ways and follow the way of love, just as Christ modelled for us. That's the Christian life there. Imitate Jesus. You want to know how to live? Imitate Jesus. Verse 1 and 2, follow God's example. Verse 3 starts to deal with things of the heart, things of the body, the attitudes we adopt. Have a look on the screen or in your Bibles on your phone. Among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. Because these are improper for God's people deals with the motivations of the heart, greed. Interesting that Paul mentions the word greed alongside sexual immorality. He knows that it's a temptation when you're out there in the workplace, in the the marketplace, or the way, way you're going about your economic activity, the way you live and interact with work. There's a possibility for temptation, for greed. But there should not be a hint of these things among God's people. Have a look in verse 4. It deals with how we speak, matters of speech. What happens around the water cooler, around the lunchroom table in the workplace? What happens on those casual Zoom hangs from you know, the last two years in lockdown? What kind of conversations do you engage with when you're around non-believers? What comes out of your mouth? Verse 4 says, there should not be any obscenity, foolish talking or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. Now we read these and we go like does that mean I can't laugh at that joke that person made? Well, you know, it's pretty clear what it says, and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to give us in the moment wisdom for how we engage and what we engage with, what we laugh at and what we don't laugh at. What conversation we engage with at the workplace and what conversation we don't engage with at the workplace. Let's bring back our four friends again, right? Where are their names? Let's get them again. Nick, Bob, Kat and Karen. Imagine a workplace where you're in the lunchroom and there's off jokes happening or there's gossip happening at the lunchroom table. What would Nick do? Now Nick is wanting to be relevant. He's wanting to be relevant with his peers, so much so that he's sometimes tempted to become just like them. If Nick was having an off day and he, was t- he succumbed to temptation, Nick might be in the workplace and he might join in with the gossip, might join in with the slightly off jokes and laugh at them, and be like, that was great. Now my friends think I'm just like them, yay. What about Bob? If Bob were even in a workplace where jokes would be told of that nature, Bob would be like, man, I'm just going to go and sit at my desk and start my Hillsong CD and cleanse the space because it's been violated and desecrated. Yeah, you know, Bob would run away real quick. What would Cat do? Cat's the edgy one. Cat would stand up in the middle of that place, probably flip the table over and say, you should all be like me. We shouldn't be talking like this. You're all going someplace bad. We should all be talking just like me. What would Karen do? Karen would stand there and not say anything. and be really awkward. I'm not joining in this joke, but I'm not saying anything either. Let's just make it really awkward. I disapprove, can you see? But I'm still here. (laughs) So this text actually gives us and says to us, and Paul is saying to the believers, how you live and how you conduct yourself, what your ethics are, what your values are, how you conduct your speech, not just in church, not just around Christians, but when you're out there in the world, is a way of witnessing with your life and your lifestyle. So we move past those verses and remind ourselves that Paul's writing to Christians in the city of Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. They're living and working among the Gentiles, among the pagans of the day, in a city that worshipped a fertility goddess. Paul is aware that there are other religious things going on in the city. Christianity is not the dominant narrative People have other religious practices. There are other cultural movements going on under the surface. It was an important economic area, not the most important economic region in the Roman area, Empire, but it was still important. He understands the context they're living in. They're engaged in work. They're engaged in the marketplace. They're living among people who believe other things. And he's writing this to them and saying, while you're in this place, live this way. You want to sum up these instructions in a few words. He's saying... Be holy, don't be unholy. Don't become exactly like the people around you, but you still have to live among them. Be holy with your body, be holy with your work, and be holy with your words. That's what he's saying. That is evangelism by lifestyle, and it's very hard to do in the modern-day Melbourne scene because we might succumb to some of those temptations of being like one of those four people. One of the key points of witness as Christians we have to the world and our workplaces here is that we as believers are called to live by a different ethic, a different value system. Because we belong, as we've heard in the reading, we belong to the light. We are children of light. So we share Jesus, his character, and his values by the way we embody them in our workplace. Uh, Just echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So that's part one. We're talking about the lifestyle of witness, living wholly with our body, work, and words. The Apostle Peter also riffs on the words of Jesus in 1 Peter 2.12, and he rephrases and repackages what Jesus says when he says, live such good lives, live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and they will glorify God on the day he visits. So much of the New Testament and the ethics of the New Testament is teaching us to live the values of the kingdom in the midst of people who don't live that way. It sounds like a great win for the person we called name four, who was... Karen, sounds like Karen's way of living is great. I'm living in the midst of people who don't believe what I believe and I'm living a contrasting life but I'm not running away. But the problem is Karen hasn't crossed that bridge into side two and doing part one and part two of using her words as well to witness and that's what I want to hone in on next is what about that second part of the instruction that we make the most of every opportunity while we're here there's a reason We didn't all get beamed home to heaven the moment we were saved. What about that making most of every opportunity? Well, the idea of making the most of every opportunity is the word we have for redemption. And this word redemption is a marketplace term in the culture of the Bible that roughly means go out and make a killing at what you're doing in terms of profitability if we had to be crude. Go out there, buy, sell, trade in the marketplace and make an absolute killing. Increase the value. So if we were to apply that meaning of that word redemption of making the most of every opportunity to our evangelism and our sharing of Jesus with our words, what would that look like? What would that do to our evangelism to think about I'm going to make an absolute killing, not in terms of destruction, but in terms of opportunity here. Before we look at some finer details of how we might do this in our workplace, the thing to remember here is that both a lifestyle of witness and the using of words are necessary. Paul reminds these Christians, one last time before we move on, of their identity and their call to live a certain way. In verse 8, have a look. He says, "...for once you were darkness..." But you are now light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. We heard some of these words echo in the baptismal liturgy. I'm just amazed and impressed at how profound that is the call to live a different and certain way, to live a contrasting life by lifestyle, to be a Christian out in the world, to show the fruit of the Spirit to show the signs of the kingdom, to live the way of the kingdom, to live in the ways of wisdom, to do justice like Jesus, to live the ethics and values and convictions of Christ. All of those are really necessary and important things. We, we join 1 Peter 2.12 in saying, yes, that's what he says, we live such good lives among the pagans. But before 1 Peter 2.12, we have 1 Peter 2.9, which says, you are a chosen priest, people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into light. It's an amazing verse of Scripture and a little portion of Scripture. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possessions, so that you may declare. The praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Now, the context of 1 Peter as well, he's writing to people scattered all over due to persecution, living among non-believers. And he's saying to them, as you live among non-believers scattered, declare God's praises. Not just declare God's praises at church on Sunday. Not just speak about Jesus in our small groups or in our Christian circles, But as you are scattered out in the world, declare the praises of him. Out in the marketplace, out with your neighbours, out in the workplace, out with your non-believing family, out around your dinner table, everywhere, declare the praises alongside living the lifestyle. Come back to 21st century Melbourne, Australia. There is no doubt that we are in a time in society that has Almost never been harder or more challenging to be a Christian and to talk about Jesus. I don't know. Let's do show of hands. Have you ever felt this is the moment where it's really hard to be a Christian on university campus, or to be a Christian? Just, just me. I, okay, I'll stand you by myself. Oh, it's hard to be a Christian in public sometimes. Who's felt that way? Thank you, thank you. So most people have felt that way. Wonderful. Well, it's not wonderful, is it? But this is a moment in time in our country where we feel like, oh, it's really hard to be a Christian and it's even harder to talk about Christianity. The census results have just recently come in, right? I don't know if you've seen them. Much talked about. The scales seem to have tipped. We've discovered by statistics what we may have already known by experience, that the general Australian person is increasingly irreligious. But the part of that separation and distance between the regular Aussie and a church building, even though that might be growing, in that gap there is an interest in spiritual matters. People more increasingly are in that spiritual but not religious category, whatever they mean by that, but there is, in that gap, an interest in spiritual matters. So there is a space in which we can engage and we can speak because evangelism, after all, is not connecting a person with a church service or a church building, is it? Good, thank you. Thank you for the agreement. Evangelism is not connecting a person with a service or a building, but is actually connecting them with the good news of Jesus. Evangelism is connecting someone with Jesus who is the good news. So be that in our place of work or in our neighbourhood or wherever it is, wherever there are people who do not know Jesus, the opportunity still exists to share the good news. God has set up a situation in which he has placed you in whatever sphere or place or location that he has placed you in, even though the gulf between the society and church is increasing, it is not an obstacle, but it is an opportunity. And since we're told to make the most of every opportunity, here are five ways. This is the bit where you take out your phone and write down the five ways, or you take your notepad out and write down the five ways. Here are five ways in which we should apply this live and declare paradigm to our evangelism in the workplace. And I'm going to draw some of these out from the passage itself. So the first one is work ethically and morally. Do good work both in terms of the outcome and in the way in which you go about it. Because if you claim to be children of the light and children of the king and live by the values and the ethics of Jesus and the kingdom of God, then it has to start showing up in the way in which we go about our work and the outcomes, and the interactions we have with people in our workplaces. Christians ought to be known as people of character and integrity, living out excellent kingdom values in the workplace. We ought to be known as people of character in our workplaces. We should have a reputation of that person as integrity. They make decisions, they treat people with integrity. Because, as Paul elsewhere tells us in Colossians, that whatever we do, whether it's working with our hands or working in other ways, we should do all things as if we were working for the Lord. Now imagine this. Imagine Jesus were your boss. Would that change the way in which you worked? Don't have to answer that out loud, but it's a moment to evaluate ourselves. If Jesus were my boss and he was there physically, would that change the way I worked? Would Jesus be okay with us cutting corners on projects or fudging the numbers or treating people poorly in order to get an outcome? Well, you can answer that for yourselves. I think the answer is no, he wouldn't be. We ought to be known as people who work with excellent ethics and excellent morals. So that's point one, work ethically and morally. Point number two Is put God on the radar regularly. You have these moments in your workplace where people will ask you, when people ask me what I do on the weekend, I go, oh, well, I was at church all day. Sometimes there's two churches all day. Um, What did you do on the weekend? (laughs) Yes. So when people ask you, actually, for those of you who are not professional Christian workers, you have an opportunity to say, I engage with a faith community. It's a church. I'm a Christian or... People might invite you to a birthday party and you go, actually, I'm really committed to helping out in our church's op shop, helping people in need, or whatever it might be. Use what you engage in in the Christian life to answer the questions of, what do you do on the weekend? Or perhaps someone might come to you with a deep ethical or personal issue and share with you their burdens in the workplace if you feel it's appropriate, you could put God on the radar by saying, you know what, I was reading this morning um, some words of wisdom, you could say from the Bible if you like, and share with them what might be helpful. Uh, I have a 19-year-old Coles checkout person who I interact with at our local Coles in Craigieburn. And we just have great interaction at the checkout. And one day he said to me, "He's like, you know what, I just need to figure out the world. I don't understand how the world works. I kind of have to um, you know, do it on my own. I said, well, you know what, um, there's actually a whole book in the Bible that helps young people gain wisdom. It's called Proverbs. Would you like to read it with me? So on Mondays, we have coffee, and we read Proverbs when he remembers, because <laughs> he's 19. No, no offense to anyone else who's 19 and actually knows how a diary works. Uh, it's all good. Use what you have and do to put God on the radar. Perhaps you could even offer, if it's appropriate, to pray for someone while they're sharing with you their burdens. Hey, I'm a Christian, I believe God could help in this situation and if they're not comfortable with you praying right there and then, you say, I can pray for you later at home if that makes you more comfortable. Put God on the radar. Don't not talk about him as if he's some concept who exists in a box. He's real. He's part of your life. Speak about him as you would speak about any other real person you know, right? <laughs> so that's put God on the radar. Number three is don't confine workplace relationships to your nine-to-five. There's a sociological phenomenon, not just in terms of relationships with God, but in, in marketing, in products, in purchases, I don't know why, but for some reason, conversion happens when circles overlap. When you keep your circles apart, here's my God world, and here's my work world, or here's my secular world where no one knows I'm a Christian or what I do, and here's my God world where you know I come and do the Christian thing, the, the more you keep those circles apart the less likely people are to engage with Faith Matters. But the more you can overlap those two circles, the more likely people are to start asking questions. The way this works in our community is, on Tuesday nights, we have every single week, we have an open house for dinner, and our neighbours are invited, and simultaneously, families from church are invited. And we just have chaos in our household because everyone has children, and it was like, ah, I just hide in the kitchen because I don't like chaos, but... Our neighbours get to see how Christians t- treat one another and how Christians treat them and they sh- as they share a meal together. So we're working on overlapping our spaces and introducing our Christian friends to our non-Christian friends. So don't isolate and confine your relationships with your co-workers at work to just the 9 to 5 Monday to Friday. Invite them to other things. Introduce them to your Christian mates. If you get invited to after-work drinks. If you don't drink, that's fine. You can still go along, have a water, interact with them outside the workplace. So don't confine workplace relationships to nine to five. Point number four out of five is form a coalition, but not a club in your workplace. As you heard Megan say, I'm um, two days a week. I work for the other organisation. That's not the church. And I get to wander around workplaces and talk to people, and I lead a team of chaplains across the state who look after a particular emergency services, and won't mention who, but uh, I get to go around different workplaces and talk to people, and one of my key jobs, I think, as a chaplain, is to find who the Christians are in the workplace and introduce them to one another. Often they don't even know who each other are. So if you are in a workplace that has a chaplain... One of the great things you could do is ask them, hey, do you know who the other Christians are? And can I please know who they are? Because it's a really hard thing, I can imagine, feeling like you're the only Christian in your workplace. I don't know if anyone else has had that feeling. Obviously, I don't have that feeling because my workplace is full of Christians. But maybe you have that feeling. I'm all alone here. I don't know how to hold down the fort. I don't know how to hold down this, these values that I want to live out. I don't know how to hold the line find other Christians who will encourage you and you can be an encouragement to them in your workplace and then form a coalition. And not a coalition to change and transform your workplace to look like church, but a coalition that will commit to praying for your workplace that God would move and open doors of opportunity there. Last one, and this comes from 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer. So this particular verse of scripture, Peter says to his audience, be prepared to give an answer always to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Now in order for people to observe that you have hope, you have to be living among them. They have to be able to see that you have hope. They have to be able to see that there's something different about your life. So that, that's where the lifestyle of witness comes in. They have to be able to see Now, we don't nail it and get this right 100% of the time. In a sense, all Christians are some degree of hypocrites, right? But we're trying to close that gap of hypocrisy. We're trying to close the credibility gap to what we say we believe and how we live. So we're in process. Let's all name that. We don't get it right 100% of the time. But we're on on the journey. And so they've got to be able to see something of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of light in your life that they ask you. What is different about you? I don't know if they've ever asked you that question. Perhaps you've had that asked to you. Why is it you are so peaceful and calm when the boss loses his head? Why is it you treat everyone else differently? Why are you so polite and courteous? Why is it you stand up for the underdog? What is it, what is it about that? Why do you come to work every day looking hopeful? Why do you do relationships differently? This question might not always come to you in the form of, please give me the reason for the hope that you have. I mean, that would be like, you know, set it up. It doesn't always come in that form. Uh, One of the different workplaces I used to visit a couple of years ago in the height of the pandemic was a 5.30 in the morning shift every Tuesday. And I would get there, and a worker didn't know (laughs) I was a chaplain uh, because of these patches that he thought I was like an HR person or or a psychologist, and he said... You're here every Tuesday morning at 5.30. I'm here every Tuesday at 5.30. Why are you so peaceful? Why do you smile when you're here? What is up with that? And I said, thank you. He lobbed me a ball. I could tell him. So I pray before I get here for peace and presence of God to be visible in my life so that I can interact with you in a helpful way. And he's like, oh, what are you, a Buddhist? <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I'm a Christian. <laughs> that was an interesting one. But yeah. Pray for these opportunities that people might witness your life so that you then have the opportunity to witness with your words. Ultimately, to bring it all bring the plane to land, we've got to believe and live as if, which is true, this whole world belongs to our heavenly Father, and that there is no dark place where his light cannot pierce and overcome. We have to recognise from the scriptures that we've been made a set apart holy royal priesthood people in the midst of of the darkness of this world, and we've been placed in hard situations. We've been placed in dark places. We've been placed in challenging workplaces or neighborhoods, even hostile places, in order to declare the goodness of him who called us out of darkness into light. So as you go from this place today and try out these five things, may the Holy Spirit bless your endeavors, and may we see much fruit for his kingdom and glory. Amen.